Chapter 13. Just who are the Creator's people? Now that our Creator Father and His name have been exposed, and the Mother to a degree, it seems only appropriate to investigate just who the Creator's people in this modern age are as well. Not only did our Creators get lost and forgotten, but their people as well are, so it seems. We'll begin with Yahweh supposedly losing ten of his tribes of chosen people. This is quite curious considering we're told the Jews are the only ones left of the original thirteen. But the white elephant in the room is, how is that remotely possible? Let's back up first and ask a simple common sense question. What kind of inept God loses the majority of his people? That said, a word of advice. If your God has lost most of his people, might I suggest you find a more powerful and less bumbling God? In fact, the God I worship calls all the innumerable stars in the universe each by name. We find that in Psalm 147.4. Wow, now that's an awesome God. That said, we can be sure that awesome God has not lost a single one of his people. In fact, my God told my Israelite ancestors, not the Jews, just before the Assyrian captivity of the northern tribes of Israel, for surely I will command and sift the house of Israel among all nations as grain is sifted in a sieve, yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. That's Amos 9.9. 9. So what happened? Where did such non-biblical, crazy nonsense originate? Well, with a little peek into the first century, we find the answer. Actually, it was the Jews who first rejected the diaspora, or the scattered ten tribes, as being gone. In fact, the parable of the prodigal son addressed that precise issue. The prodigal son was the northern tribes that spent their inheritance among the Gentiles, while Judah, the southern nation, composed of the tribes of Judah, Levi, and Benjamin, were the faithful son who stayed with his father Yahweh in Jerusalem and the temple. In reading the parable, we see the faithful son was very unhappy with his father's reacceptance of his lost or returning brother. Sadly, the Jews to this day refuse to accept back their dispersed brothers, which we see in the refusal to allow any non-Jew to aliyah into their modern nation of Judah, which they erroneously and ironically call Israel. But the truth that all the tribes are still here will come out eventually. Ezekiel 37.19 speaks of two sticks, or the two nations of Israel and Judah, being reunited as a complete people again. Actually, the 144,000 sealed in Revelation 7, 12,000 from each Israelite tribe, sealed to survive the Great Tribulation, are the literal fulfilling of Ezekiel 37. Getting back to the Jews rejecting their scattered brothers, we find an example in Paul's confrontation of Peter eating with them, proving the Pharisees and the Jews in general considered the scattered tribes Gentiles. In Acts 10, we find the Apostle Peter praying about it. He has some of those so-called Gentiles, or uncircumcised Israelites, coming to him such as Cornelius, who, with a Roman name and having been conscripted into the Roman army, was automatically labeled Gentile by the Jews. We know the ones Peter was meeting with were the, of the diaspora, or the scattered ten tribes, by what we read in Matthew 10, 5 through 6. 
There Yeshua sent out his disciples telling them, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, who are Gentiles, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He adds to that in Matthew 15, 24, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's the lost ten, supposed lost ten tribes. Additional proof the Jews considered the Israelite diaspora Gentiles is seen in Paul's actions in Acts 11.3, where those of the circumcision, that is a reference to the Jews or the Pharisees accusing Peter, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. Interestingly, we know one of those of the circumcision was dear old Paul, considering his bragging to his congregation in Galatians 2 about getting in Peter's face for his eating with Gentiles. Of course, that is in spite of Peter's actions being justified by the sheet vision. How interesting the way Christianity also stands with the Jews in their insistence the northern ten Israelite tribes are gone forever. In fact, Christianity as a whole teaches Israel in the Bible is simply a reference to the Jews, but that could not be further from the truth. Judah, or the Jews, were only one tribe of the thirteen, one of the smaller ones at that. The largest tribe was Ephraim, who is the modern United States, which became interchangeable with the name Israel as we see throughout the book of Hosea. Well, nothing has changed today. After establishing biblically, the Father Creator did not lose his physical people Israel, basically, which is all the modern Western nations. What about his spiritual people? Who are they? We'll begin that investigation in the Old Testament with many references to the place where Yahweh dwells. Let's read one of those in Jeremiah 34:15. He says, There he says, Then you recently turned and did what was right in my sight, every man proclaiming liberty, that is from the gods of death, to his neighbor, and you made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name. Would house not be a reference to what has been or wrongly called the church in this age? What then is the name of the church to which we belong? Is it church? Or a congregation of Yahweh? Or something else? If something else, how can we call ourselves His? Without His name Yahweh, can any group or church call themselves Yahweh's people? To that thought, let's read another scripture in the last part. In every place where I record my name... Of course, that is Yahweh, not God or Jesus. I will come to you and I will bless you. Again, if the Creator's name, Yahweh, isn't in or on our group or congregation, why would we expect to be called His and receive His promised blessings? With that thought in mind, let's look at another prophecy in Zechariah 13.9, where he says, I will bring the one-third through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, Yahweh is my God. Considering these scriptures are so plain and clear, how in the world can the churches simply ignore them and pretend the Creator's names are irrelevant? Unfortunately, most congregations are simply kept in ignorance. But you would think people want to dig into the scriptures themselves for the answers their churches are not giving them. 
Unfortunately, the sad truth is, most church leaders strongly discourage and some absolutely forbid the digging out of the truth. In fact, most church congregations are taught they already have all the spiritual understanding they need. I personally experienced that very thing. Ever since I was very little, I always wanted to know more, but into my 20s it was becoming quite clear my church was not teaching anything new, even though they off-quoted the New Testament scripture which states, Grow in grace and knowledge. That's 2 Peter 3.18. Unfortunately, upon seeking more understanding and asking questions, I was suddenly labeled a troublemaker. But it wasn't until they tossed me out for being a troublemaker that I began finding and uncovering real truth. Now, after allowing the scriptures to interpret themselves, translation errors aside, a door to a whole new grand world opened. It was beyond shocking, but awesome nonetheless. Again, the first step to finding that door and becoming Yahweh's people is to find and glorify his personal, exclusive name. There's great power in names, especially his. Look at what he declares in Malachi. If you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says Yahweh, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. That's chapter 2, verse 2 of Malachi. A couple more scriptures echoing the same sentiment are Psalm 79, 6, where it says, Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you, and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. Again, what name? Well, Yahweh, of course. And Jeremiah, pour out your fury on the Gentiles who do not know you, and the families who do not call on your name. For they have eaten up Jacob, that is Israel, devoured him and consumed him, and made his dwelling place desolate. After reading those powerful scriptures, how could anyone in their right mind, dare not give glory to Yahweh's awesome name and show him his name terrible disrespect instead. Obviously, not everyone who hears Yahweh's name will accept it and join him as his spiritual people. But that does, not, but that does prompt the question, just what kind of people are those who embrace him and his exclusive name? Does it take a certain attitude or type of people to accept this radical truth? Well, we're told in Isaiah... Just what kind of people those are. It says in chapter 57, verse 15, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is set apart, that is exclusive, I dwell in the high and set apart place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Well, there it is. It's the humble and contrite with whom Yahweh will dwell and make his spiritual people. And then Psalm 69, 36 adds to that, also the descendants of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name, Yahweh, shall dwell in it. That is Zion and Eden. Then the second Chronicles adds even more, if my people who are called by my name, again that name is Yahweh, not God or Lord, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Of course, that's chapter 7 and verse 14 of Second Chronicles. Again, it's the humble that are called by Yahweh's name and are his. But there's more. Look at what Psalm 119, 132 says. Look upon me and be merciful to me as your custom is toward those who love your name. 
Considering those awesome promises in those last scriptures, what person in their right mind wouldn't want to be recipients? Instead, so many literally fight against embracing Yahweh's name and blessings. Why? Well, any reasoning person knows it's the demon spirits that don't want us to accept Yahweh's name and blessings. If one isn't so inclined to put stock in the Old Testament, which is the foundation of the New, the Messiah himself confirmed the connection between his Father's name and his people as well. Notice his prayer in John concerning his disciples. There he says, And I have declared to them, <clears throat> that is his disciples, your name, and will declare it that the love of with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That's chapter 17 and verse 26 of John. Interestingly, this statement by the Hebrew Messiah, Yeshua, indicates his disciples had also lost the knowledge of Yahweh and his name. They, as most everyone now, had lost and or forgotten our Creator Father's name. One more such New Testament scripture to end this chapter is John 17:17. 17, 17. Obviously, if the promises of protection and blessings given to Yahweh's special people, that, that love his true name, that is, in the first century, we can be sure those blessings blessing can also be claimed by us. In fact, I'm living proof. That said, let's read it. Now I am no longer in the world, but those are in the world, and I come to you, set apart Father, keep through your name, Yahweh, whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. One thing's for sure. If we wish to be our Creator's special people and share in their blessings, we must give Yahweh and His wife the honor they and their names deserve.